0: In the summary in verse 17, respect everyone and love your Christian brothers and sisters. Fear God, respect the king. So Christians should be known for their respect and even-handed work in governmental and political actions. And our political engagement, whatever that looks like, must be motivated and set in the context of our mission as a church to bring glory to God and to bring the good news of the gospel of the kingdom to bear on this world. And there's so many different ways that we can do that in a respectful way. Then Peter goes on to this next section, which is a little bit trickier for us to translate into our context because of the original and context that he was speaking into. But he talks about slaves now. And this is a section which is referred to as house codes, uh, certain ways of living. And house codes are, there's a number of places in Scripture, like in Colossians and also in Ephesians and here in 1 Peter, where there is these different relationships of within a household that are spoken of. And typically it speaks of three different relationships where it talks about slaves and owners, husbands and wives, and also parents and children. And these house codes are are typically referring to places and relationships that have a power imbalance, where there is typically one person who is more powerful and one person who is less powerful. And how do you speak the gospel and and, and teach the gospel and live out the gospel into these contexts? And so that's what Peter is talking about here as he talks about uh, slaves. And so he... He says it this way, uh, verse 18. You who are slaves must accept the authority of your masters with all respect. Do what they tell you, not only if they are kind and reasonable, but even if they are cruel. For God is pleased with you when you do what you know is right and patiently endure unfair treatment. Of course, you you get no credit for being patient if you are beaten for doing wrong, but if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. It's an interesting word. In the original context, slavery was a very diverse institution, and it varied from culture to culture even in that uh, time and in that era, and there are definitely similar abuses to slavery that we would see uh, more currently in the last uh, couple of hundred years in terms of the things that we've seen on movies depicted, the slavery and the battle in Britain and the United States more predominantly, obviously, Um, but we can't automatically associate it with that kind of image or that kind of picture because in this context, it was actually quite a different picture. Slavery was the very central labor force of the Roman economy. Many actually chose this voluntarily because they, they had an opportunity, if they were a slave of a Roman citizen, if they actually, on good behavior, and if they were able to save enough money, which people actually in slavery could do, they could actually save enough money, they could actually buy their freedom. And when they bought their freedom, then they, they then became a Roman citizen, which had all kinds of benefits because of that. So slavery was a different kind of institution than we might typically think of it. Um, sl- the status of slaves was not always low. The status of slaves was more connected to the master. It didn't have to do with race. Education was encouraged. You could own land. You could even own other slaves. And again, many chose this life over the vagabond life of just simply doing odd jobs and going from place to place. Slaves included teachers, writers, doctors, accountants, all kinds of professions. And so it was a very different kind of era, a very different kind of category than what we would think about today. And it was often typically not a permanent position. It was a temporary condition on the path to freedom, and oftentimes freedom was given even at the age of 30. Now, there was definitely abuses. There was definitely unfair treatment. There was things that went bad, and slave owners who were not respectful, and you even see that here in this text where he talks about slaves being beaten, and sometimes he says almost justifiably, and other times with no warrant. But but there definitely were abuses in that time. But Peter wants the Christian slave community to manifest a kind of behavior that transcends the norm of society and demonstrates its supernatural origins. In other words, if you live out your faith, even as a slave, with the hope of the gospel, with the fruit of the Spirit, in a way that other people actually take notice, that your owner will actually take notice, the gospel gains traction and unbelieving people will see Jesus. When you think of it today, we say, well, how do we apply that today? And one of the ways that I think it's appropriate applied is just the idea of our workplaces. And sometimes we work in jobs and we work for bosses or managers that are really difficult to respect. Or we work in a context where our coworkers are a challenge to respect. And so, even into that setting, I would make that application that Peter would say, we need to live in such a way and work in such a way that those around you, your co-workers, your boss, your managers, those who observe you day in and day out in your workplace would actually see a difference. And because of the respect that you give them, the gospel would gain traction in your workplace setting. And they would notice. And it would give you an opportunity and a platform to speak the words of truth, the words of hope. And then it goes on in verse 21 to 25 to point to the story of Jesus and this example. He says, here's the model and here's the power by which you do this. You can't do this on your own. And he says in verse 21 and following, For God has called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered. Just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. He never sinned nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. So here, Peter points to the very core of the gospel, of the person of Jesus Christ, and the cross of suffering and shame and he says because of this model and because of his spirit now living within you you've been given the ability and the power and the example to walk out this life of suffering and respect even when it's really really hard it's called the cruciform life how do we live a life that that models the cross that is a cruciform life in this pattern we're so used to, in our culture, fighting for our rights. And we hear that all the time, that you need to fight for your rights. And yet the cruciform life calls us to something radically different, to be a witness to this culture. It's a very countercultural life. And then he gets on to this next section, which talks about another power imbalance, and he talks about in the marriage context, between husbands and wives. And uh, uh, he talks about this word, submission. There's a bit of a power-to-keg word, hey? And and he's talking about how do you respect each other in this context. And it's interesting how how Peter speaks to slaves, but in this passage, he doesn't actually speak to slave owners as he does elsewhere. Here, he seems to speak more to wives and a little bit less to husbands, even though he does speak to husbands. And maybe it's because the context of the churches that he was speaking to had way more slaves that were there and uh, way more women of faith and the husbands who were not there. So again, contextually, he is probably making reference to those that are in these contexts that he is speaking to. So in 1 Peter chapter 3, it says, In the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Then even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourselves instead with the beauty that comes from within the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. This is how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. They trusted God, accepted the authority of their husbands. For since, for instance, Sarah obeyed her husband, Abraham, and called him her master. You are her daughters when you do what is right without fear of what your husbands might do. In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives, treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should, so your prayers will not be hindered. Okay, well, I think that's pretty self-explanatory. Let's close in prayer. Some really interesting texts. And again, some texts that we have to understand in the original context, similar to slavery. And again, to be cautious not to hear it in ways today that were not intended Peter, similar again to slavery, is speaking about holy living for the sake of unbelievers, and specifically unbelieving husbands. And he's saying, here's a way that you need to live, faith-filled women, for the sake of the gospel witness to your unbelieving husbands. But I recognize that for many women, they can only hear this text through the grid of how it's been a practice by abusive men over the years. And so it becomes a very challenging text. And I get that. It really skews our understanding. But it is understandable how many women would hear it that way. But I believe that that is not what the text is about. Now again, in the original context, we have to understand that there was two dominant views of women at that time. First of all, one of the views of women was more the Jewish view. And the Jewish view is very patriarchal. Although there was some respect and they were protected by law, women were treated as inferior in almost every way. There was lots of restrictions. It was very limiting uh, in terms of how you could use and develop your gift, gifts. And that's why the gospel in the Jewish culture was actually very radical. The gospel in the Jewish culture was also actually very affirming. And it gave much greater freedom and respect to women. And when you think of the writings and the teaching of Jesus and of Paul and now of Peter, it actually elevated women in a very significant way from that original context. And we have to understand that from where women would have seen themselves at that time and where men would have seen women at that time. So the second dominant view, the first one being Jewish, the second dominant view at that time was the Greco-Roman view. By and large, uh, women were better off in that view, uh, more freedoms typically, but also those freedoms varied and were restricted from time to time by region to region. But women in that view and in that context could own land, engage in business, serve in office, And so on. And so again, the context, in this context, the bottom line is is that women need to live a life that gains respect for the gospel in the context that you are in, especially for those who are living with unbelieving husbands. But again, sadly, this text is often used and read through a grid of abuses that would never have been condoned by Jesus, Paul, or Peter here. And I'm not saying that either. And sadly, some of these house code texts and where it talks about women in these contexts uh, of the original nature have been used and misapplied in our context to support all kinds of brutal things. I've told my girls, as most of you know, I have four daughters, and I've said to my girls, if uh, you are ever in a dating relationship where you feel controlled or manipulated or you can't be yourself and you're dating this boy, I give you permission to text them that it's over and run. We've had that conversation many times, and I really mean that, because that is not God's design for a healthy relationship, that you feel controlled, manipulated, abused in any way. Now, when it comes to a marriage relationship, and if a person finds themselves in that kind of situation, it becomes more complicated. There are more kind of maybe steps and more processes, but at the same time, I would not encourage women to stay in a relationship where there is obvious abuse that is happening, because that is not what this text is teaching. That is not what Scripture teaches, that men have control over their women in that ways, in abusive ways. And sadly, even in the church, there is way too much of that that happens. Where men are manipulating and controlling, which is part of what, Paul, or what Peter is saying, even in this text, as he speaks to husbands here. Because you see, the gospel picture here is, of, is of more of mutual submission, And you see that more if you look at all the texts that relate to this, if you look at all the house codes, and I would refer you even, uh, and we'll look in a minute into the text of of Ephesians, but it speaks to this mutual submission piece. Even Peter here is saying in verse 7, in the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. And it gives this direct correlation here about your prayer life is going to have an impact by how you treat your wife. Which is quite a statement. So Peter is is teaching them about this mutual submission. If you uh, flip over to Ephesians chapter 5, you see this another text that gives some of the house codes here. And Ephesians chapter 5, another maybe well-known text about wives and husbands. And I'm going to just refer, just because of time, just to a couple of verses here. In verse 21 of Ephesians 5. It says, and further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This idea of mutual submission, one to another. And at the end of that section, then it goes on to teach about women submitting to wives and husbands submitting, or sorry, women submitting to their husbands and husbands submitting to their wives. And then it goes on in verse uh, 33. And at the end, uh, Paul says it this way. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. There's a well-known book that's been written about that verse right there called Love and Respect that many of you will be familiar with, Dr. Egretz, who uh, wrote that book and some really good teaching that comes out of that, and his main premise is this idea that by and large, women uh, long for and need love in all that that means and so on, and how by and large, again, as a general rule, men, what they desire and what they long for is respect. And if men feel respected, then love is kind of thrown in. And if women feel loved, then respect is kind of thrown in. But in general, that's how men and women are wired and what they are needing and looking for. And he also teaches in that book how, what he calls the crazy cycle of how it, it kind of spirals down when one doesn't get what they need and so they don't give what the other wants either. And it just goes in this vicious cycle. And so the woman doesn't feel loved, therefore she doesn't respect her husband. He doesn't feel respected, so therefore he doesn't love his wife. And it just goes around and around and around and around. And how somehow you have to break that cycle and change the pattern, which is, I think, what Peter is talking about too, is initiating. We understand unconditional love, I think, at least in in part. But do we understand unconditional respect? Unconditional love is, is loving somebody who doesn't actually deserve to be loved. What about respecting somebody who maybe doesn't deserve to be respected? And the way that we break that cycle, that crazy cycle in a marriage relationship, is that somebody has to be uh, the one who actually goes first, uh, of actually showing respect when it's not deserved, or showing love when it's not deserved. And I know uh, the author of that book, he said that he'd been asked many times the question of, well, who is it that goes first? Who goes first? And he said over the years, the best answer he could come up with, which I think is actually a really profound answer, is he said, the more mature one. Now, not the more mature one on a regular basis like you're all the time more mature one, but who's going to be the more mature one in that moment today, in this argument, in this issue? Every day we get to choose to be the more mature one. And you can break that cycle. And you can show love where it's not deserved. And you can show respect where it's not earned. And suddenly the cycle reverses and it starts to go in a very different way. This is, I believe, what Scripture teaches in these house codes about Elevating the status of women and saying there's a way to live in this mutual submission to one another. I want to read you a a thing that I've one that I borrowed and and adapted, another one that I wrote myself. And it's in this text in Ephesians 5, just looking at that again for a minute, often it's this idea of how how do you do that? What is submission, arranging yourself under? What does that look like? And and this is just one way that I've described it and, and just articulating it both for husbands and wives. So when it comes to mutual submission, just imagine as the husband, okay? Imagine for a minute that you're married to a woman who believes in you, who respects you deeply for who you are and the daily work that you do, and continually honors you in front of her friends and family, even when you're not there. She has your best interests in mind, looks out for you, and essentially says to you, you first, on all kinds of daily decisions. She delights in meeting your needs and seeing you flourish. She is your biggest cheerleader, special confidant, and safe harbor. My guess is is that you would love a woman like that to no end. Even if it meant giving your life. When it comes to this mutual submission, just imagine for a wife. Imagine for a minute that you're married to a man who believes in you as well and makes you feel free, safe, and able to be completely yourself. He truly believes that you are the most fantastic person on the planet and he can't wait to be with you. You never worry about him being unfaithful as he only has eyes for you. You have no doubt that your happiness is a top priority for him. He listens when you talk. He honors you in public and makes you feel special. He's not afraid to make a decision, but he values your opinion and consults with you to get your wise perspective. You have no doubt that he would quite literally give his life for you if the need ever arose. My guess is is that you would respect and love a man like that to no end. You see, when when those kind of relationships are in place, this idea of submission becomes a non-issue. It's just a non-issue. Because it's about absolutely loving another person in a sacrificial way. But somebody has to go first. That's what Peter is saying here in in this text in, in, in 1 Peter chapter 2. Is that we need to be people who go first. In our society. In our working relationships. In our marriages. In all of our relationships. That we would be people who would go first. It says in verse 8. Finally, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do, and he will bless you for it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for scripture texts like this that instruct us in so many areas of our lives and as we start to understand the original context and make application into our context today, we can just see so many of these timeless truths that carry forward. And God, I I pray that as men, we would not be men who are controlling or abusive in any way. God, would you forgive us for where we have had even a semblance of that. But God, that we would respect our wives and respect other women in ways that give traction to the gospel. And Lord, as women, I also pray that we would uh, be really concerned about this inner beauty that God calls us to because of the gospel within us. And Lord, that we would live together in new ways of mutual submission, both in marriage relationships, but also just in the church. God, that we would mutually submit to one another because of the love of Christ, because of the model that you have given us, Lord Jesus. And that we would lay down our rights, over and over again, that we would go first. God, would you help us to be the more mature one for the sake of the kingdom and that we would be able to give glory and honor to you for all that you are doing and all that you have done. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.